Well, hello everyone and welcome. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, uh, whatever time of day it is for you uh, dialing in uh, to join us today. Thank you so much for making the time and for your commitment to this topic, uh, for this webinar on how to help children continue to learn during COVID-19. Uh, I'm told that this is the second in the Agri Khan Foundation UK series on COVID-19 related webinars. Um, that really explore the, the impact of the pandemic on developing world contexts. Um, the previous recording can be found at akf.org.uk and I'm excited and reliably informed that the numbers of you dialing in today have completely smashed uh, the previous record of that webinar. We're expecting somewhere between 500 to 600 people dialing into this call today, which is just fantastic. So again, thanks so much for making the time. Uh, before we dive in, I have two points of housekeeping. Uh, the first one is on Q&A. Um, I'm sure you're all quite familiar with these webinars uh, now, given how deep we are into the COVID response, but you will be able to see at the bottom of your portal um, an ability to submit questions. I strongly encourage you to do so. Um, as I will be selecting the best questions, the hardest questions at the end and putting them to our fantastic panel. So please, if there is anything you want to ask, do use that feature. If you're dialing in from uh, Facebook Live or viewing this on YouTube, then uh, sadly you will not be able to ask a question. Uh, takes me to my second point of housekeeping. This is being recorded. So if you are not comfortable with being on a recorded webinar, that's absolutely fine. Please, if you can drop off the line now uh, and then be sure to check back and, um, and view the recording uh, on, on the AKF uh, website. If we could go to uh, the next slide, I'll cover who we are. Perfect, thanks. And who we are, we have, we have Dr. Andrew Cunningham, who is uh, one of the global leads uh, for education at the Aga Khan Foundation. Um, the other global lead for education at the Aga Khan Foundation is Nafisa Shirkova, uh, joins us as well, uh, both uh, based in Geneva. And Marjorie Evans uh, is also on the line, the, the academic director for uh, the Aga Khan Education Services. And making up the quartet is myself, Ronan Ferguson. Uh, I'm a manager from Accenture Development Partnerships, which is the social impact arm of Accenture, which is a global management consulting firm. And there are no prizes today for guessing who the odd one out is of that quartet. Uh, so uh, rather than typing in your first question of who are you, Ronan, and what are you doing here? Um, I would just like to, to kind of preempt that question by saying uh, I had the great pleasure of working with Andy recently on a, on a project that was eight weeks long for Schools 2030, and we were working on, I suppose, bringing a bit of structure to internal communications and knowledge management. And I, I think the reason that I was asked to host this uh, webinar was that in that eight-week project, we achieved some pretty remarkable things, but we had to come and approach that project as Accenture Development Partnerships and as the Agri Khan Foundation in, in a pretty new way because of COVID. And I think that's a running theme through this presentation is actually seeing COVID as an opportunity to do things slightly differently uh, and often to achieve or potentially to achieve better results. So hopefully that theme will, will keep re-emerging throughout the, uh, the webinar. If we could go to the next slide, please. 
just going to signpost the agenda so that you know that you're going to uh, the next hour will be well invested from from your standpoint what we hope you'll get out of this event is a set of resources and access to those resources that are going to support families and educators to help children learn uh, during this time the, these resources have been developed by the agricon education services and by agricon foundation and i'm going to essentially hand over to this talented team to walk through the three pillars of the agricon development network's covid response framework the third pillar of which is essentially minimizing impact on communities and underpinning that third pillar are three more pillars um, Nafisa is going to walk you through and um, what those pillars are then she's going to take on uh, a deep dive into that first pillar which is looking at supporting families and then go to Marjorie for pillar two on supporting educators and Andy will complete the trifecta on uh, an overview of, of supporting school systems um, again to help children learn and then we will come back to me who will uh, launch off on the Q&A so again please do keep those questions coming in and they'd be gratefully received. In terms of just some high level thoughts from me, I'd like to ground this webinar in the context of COVID's impact on the global education system. And I'd like to do this first of all, um, by considering the what so of COVID's impact on the global education system, and then moving to the second half, which is the so what of, of that impact. And what's so right now is that there are some 1.6 billion children, basically 90% of the world's student population, that are out of school across 190 countries. And almost a quarter, I think it's 23% of those students that rely on school meals as a key source of nutrition um, are not getting those meals and those meals are not being replaced. Now, necessity often is the mother of invention. And we've seen some really quite innovative, remarkable responses from different countries. And I'd like to call out a couple um, that have been my favorites. Ukraine um, for bringing its entire education curricula online uh, as a result of COVID, quite a remarkable thing uh, to do. North Macedonia, um, which has succeeded in shifting its classrooms into living rooms um, by recording uh, its, its, its classroom sessions and, and putting them through television. But sadly, another what so of where we are as a planet right now is that half of the world's pupils don't have access to a household computer. Um, and according to UNESCO, 32 countries uh, will end uh, the academic year online, but 100 countries have not yet even announced a date for schools to reopen. Um, now, many of these developing countries are trying to innovate and then find other ways to bring their classes to the masses. Uh, and again, a, a few favorite examples, Rwanda turning to broadcasting through radio, Cote d'Ivoire um, going for videotape lessons that are, that are broadcast, uh, Sierra Leone, uh, really fascinating, pioneering, uh, trying something new around a dial-a-teacher service. So you can phone in and get a teacher one-on-one -on -one hotline, essentially, for, uh, for, for delivering a class. Um, so in, in wrapping up the, the what's so, many of the world's children have now been out of school for over six months. And for approximately 890 million students, the school calendar has never looked so undefined. So what? Um, I'd like to consider the so what across three threads. And I think these three threads will be coming again through this uh, webinar uh, quite loud and clear at you. The three threads are pupils, families 
for teachers. So the so what for the pupils, like, it, it's really not hyperbole to say that the fallout of the decisions that are being made today will follow a generation of school children for the rest of their lives. It's well documented that less uh, instructional time leads to lower educational attainment. And it's not just the educational attainment. We all know that schools are, are more than places of learning. They provide students with that social protection, the nutrition, the psychosocial support that um, is normally forthcoming from both teachers and friends, uh, which is lost in the current environment. The second thread uh, is families. Uh, families have now been burdened, and I think burdened is the, is the right word, with, with the responsibility of not only meeting their children's educational needs, um, but balancing their own work commitments. And the sad, predictable future of this is that closing schools will expound inequality uh, because children from lower socioeconomic families will be disproportionately affected. And the third uh, thread uh, is the impact on educators. And, and gosh, these are so wide ranging, ranging from the financial impact, being away from work, the stress of how to make up for lost learning time, six months, um, and health. Um, you know, will it be safe for these critical frontline workers to teach full classrooms? What's the balance to be struck between going back quickly and going back safely? The classroom is the front line of COVID when it comes to proximate transmission of the virus. And I think one thing that unites teachers the world over uh, is their courageous attitudes and their pioneering natures in this crisis. Again, and one of my favorite examples is uh, in Namibia, uh, pioneering teachers texting the parents of their students through WhatsApp or through SMS to simply check in on how the um, how the, the lessons are progressing, if there's anything that the parents need in terms of you know, getting a concept that they perhaps don't understand and, and, and unblocking them in that way. It's, uh, it's almost like it's a, um, a parents' evening, a, a daily parents' evening, but the subject of the, of the talk is the performance of the parent rather than the child. Uh, ultimately, six months have been lost from many academic calendars. Uh, COVID is forcing the education sector to do things differently. Uh, this is our collective opportunity to build that better. And I assert that that's a mantra that is partly what's brought many of you onto this call today. Um, so our speakers are, are going to share with you a series of available tips, the recommendations, learning resources that are available both online and offline um, to help us build back better to support families and educators to help children learn uh, during this time. So with that, Nafisa, I shall hand over to you. I'm muted, okay. Thank you, Ronwin, and hello, everyone. Um, so I think uh, before going into more education, I think I'll, I'll be talking about a bit briefly about the AKDN response framework. Uh, so as the Agahan development is a network of agencies that is involved in social Economic, economical and cultural programs. So when COVID um, expanded rapidly across the world and hit many of our countries, um, the AKDN developed an institutional and a coordinated response uh, to ensure that uh, in the countries where we work, um, that all our agencies are, 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 are responding to this um, um, disaster and this uncertainty with a, with a coordination and institutional um, uh, framework. So a global framework was developed that was really guiding uh, 
uh, countries uh, in their responses in their responses, but really take into account the needs, context, and the reality in in each of the countries. Um, at the global level, we uh, established a, a global task force, and then at the uh, the national level in each country, there was also uh, a national uh, task force uh, to make sure that there was a, a coordination and implementation. Uh, so. Uh, next slide. So the global uh, response framework uh, for EKDN has uh, three pillars. Um, pillar one is around slowing and um, excuse me, slow and then uh, just stopping the transmission, preventing the outbreaks and delay, uh, and so suppress the spread. So in this one, it's the EKDN agencies that are involved in the civil society work, but also a lot of our health uh, agencies and programs that were really um, taking lead. Uh, in this pillar. Uh, pillar two is around providing optimized care for all patients, especially for the severely and critically ill uh, patients. And again, in here, uh, given that Dagahan Development Network um, has uh, hospitals and clinics, but also works with thousands of uh, uh, government and other partners, uh, uh, health institutions and services, pillar two is also really our uh, health um, organizations that were leading it. Uh, pillar three is around minimizing the impact on communities, uh, the vulnerable social service and economic activities. So in here, it's our civil society, our economic inclusion, our agriculture and food security, and, and of course, the education uh, services uh, that are uh, programs that are part of the pillar three. Um, next. Uh, so within the pillar three, um, we, uh, if we're looking at the Ekinian agency, there are five agencies that have been uh, that are involved in education. It's the Agahan uh, Education Services, Agahan uh, Academies. Uh, we have the Agahan University and the University of Central Asia, and of course the Agahan Foundation. So uh, our education response uh, really needed to look at the three areas: families, educators, and schools. Um, that's uh, not just because of the need of the COVID, but also prior to COVID-19. As an as a, um, uh, agency, we do believe in an, a whole school approach. We believe that an, a quality education can only be uh, achieved uh, when we engage uh, all stakeholders are involved, from students to families to educators and schools. Uh, so the three are, you know, the first one is really during COVID-19, we were looking at how do we support families um, with the relevant resources so they can help their children at home. Um, and then, of course, the educators to really look at how the educators can engage with families and children during the confinement and during the current situation. And, of course, uh, supporting the schools uh, when they plan to reopen uh, to address the gaps uh, when we're going to see learning, but also the safe and healthy, uh, the safety and, 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 and healthy learning environments for students and for the entire uh, school's uh, staff. Um, next. So uh, supporting families uh, to help children learn was, of, of course, our first priority as um, many of them were stuck at home. Uh, we know uh, with their children, uh, many families felt that they now need to become teachers and uh, full-time teachers to teach their kids. And we felt that we really needed to prioritize that. We really need to prioritize on how to help families. Um, of course, as we were started looking at it, there was a lot of resources that became available. Both many organizations, many institutions have started developing resources, but also existing companies were providing free uh, online resources. And, and, and at, at some point we felt, and our own colleagues who have children, uh, and our staff who have children in, in, in the field, uh, felt that it was too much overwhelming. Um, so what we did is, um, next, uh, we developed uh, three um, resources. The first one was really just tips. It's really helping families on their day-to-day -day, uh, on what to prioritize during the confinement. 
um, you know, is having from a daily routine to making sure that they themselves are okay, the children are okay, that they don't have to become full-time teachers, that it's okay not to teach their kids every day and to be really taking things at a, at a time, uh, giving their context and their needs. So this was really just practical tips that we created that we thought that was very, that would be useful for the families, uh, parents and, 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 and caregivers, uh, more importantly. Uh, we then developed um, activities. Uh, well, what we did is we looked at uh, online activities. I think there were around 2,000 uh, online um, resources that we scanned and we identified around 75 uh, both online and offline uh, resources that we, we, we prioritized. Uh, again, looking at the accessibility, looking at which one are a bit more simpler for for families to really access. Uh, also the ones that are free, for, really free, because there were some that uh, were not necessarily free. Um, and then because in our context, a lot of families don't have internet, and as you said, Roman, that majority are, are not yet being uh, you know, reached through the online, uh, uh, on internet or online um, services, we really need to come to think through an offline activities. What are the things, basic things that parents can do? Um, and then, the third uh, resource is around the psychosocial and well-being. Again, the, the point that you've raised uh, that we, we really prioritized as uh, for the families. We again developed tips on basic tips that parents uh, and, and adults uh, can do at home, but also um, uh, for their children. What to, what to be uh, what to prioritize to be to feel um, okay to really prioritize their personal well-being, uh, and also develop some basic activities and shared some existing basic activities that they can do at home. Um, next. Um, and then the, the tips for families uh, on supporting children's learning at home, but also on the psychosocial well-being. We then created short videos in English and also many other languages that are available on our blended learning uh, website. Uh, they were also shared through um, social media such as Facebook as well as uh, WhatsApp. Um, they are in different languages that are available free and they can be accessible by anyone. Um, next. Sorry, I'm just yes. So I think what we've learned and what we really need to when it comes to parents, I mean, I think the first one is that we do need to continue supporting families uh, because they will you know, COVID is still here and uh, parents will continue being involved, remain involved, even if the schools will open, because we know that even if the schools are open, in many of the context, kids might not go to school every day. You know, in the countries where we have 100 or 200 kids per classroom, uh, there is no way that all of those kids are going to be, they might even go once a week. So kids will still be at home and we really need to continue to think on how we will continue supporting parents and families during this, um, during this very uncertain time. I think the second thing is for us to really uh, think around strengthening the trust and relationship between families and schools during COVID-19. Um, I think this, this relationship between families and schools, while it, it, it has always been a very important factor in, um, in uh, supporting kids learning, whether during COVID or before COVID, uh, it somehow lost uh, in many of the countries that we started working uh, what we saw is that families felt that you know schools are responsible for the education of their children and the role of parents was also limited many parents who who are you know illiterate felt that they they, they can't even go and visit the schools so i think this is an opportunity for us to really con um, now that we have this 
you know, opportunity in terms of the role of parents, the role of communities and families have been so important during this time that we really need to continue strengthening uh, that relationship of trust. And of course, uh, what we see and what we are afraid of that with the schools being closed for so many months, you know, in some of the countries um, like Pakistan in the northern area, schools were never open this year because the, the academic year was supposed to start in March and then they've been on um, close, uh, close, 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 in, in, in they, they haven't even started the academic year because they've been on confinement. So we are afraid that in some of these um, uh, developing countries, uh, parents, and due to economic uh, issues, parents will not be sending back their children and kids might be dropping out. So the role of families and the role of the local communities in ensuring that all children will come back to school uh, during COVID-19 is, is very critical. So I think these are the, the, the three areas that I wanted to share in terms of uh, thinking through the parents' engagement and community engagement as we continue uh, as we continue living through this uh, very uncertain time. So thank you and uh, over to you, Ronan. Great, thank you, Nafisa. Well, let me hand straight over to you, Marjorie, for this uh, second pillar. Thank you, thank you, Ronan. As Nafisa said, it was really important to focus on parents. It was equally important to turn our attention to teachers. And by the time we did that, a number of schools had already been in lockdown, a number of countries had already been in lockdown. So there were five really key themes that came out and the resources that we developed were very much targeted at addressing those themes. Next slide, please. The first was that it wasn't just students that we had to think about their welfare, it was teachers as well. And so, and it was critical that we paid attention to teachers' welfare. And so one of the resources we developed was in, devoted entirely to educator wellbeing and professional development. The second, big lesson that came out for us during this time is that teachers were incredibly time poor. They were trying to be parents, they were trying to cook the meals, they were trying to look after their own students, children's learning, they were checking in on neighbours and teaching, remote teaching is tricky. It's, uh, it requires um, technological expertise and pedagogical expertise. So, Teachers were struggling in terms of uh, the amount of time, they were exhausted. And so our resources are very, very deliberately about look, doing all the hard work for them, looking at these thousands of resources online and offline and curating them so that they're presented simply and teachers can pick them up. The third big message that came through to us is teachers also miss being with students and students miss being with teachers and peers. And so threaded through the four resources that we produced for teachers, one I said was to do with um, wellbeing and professional development. The other three, one was focused on pre-primary, one on primary and one on secondary. Threaded throughout those resources is a real focus on engaging with students and connecting with students. So there are lots of activities that really uh, develop and emphasise uh, that element. Fourth thing we found out is that we're not ready for remote learning. And Rowan referred to that in his introduction. Not only students, but teachers themselves 
didn't have access to appropriate devices or needed to share devices or connectivity was flaky or non-existent. So we've been very, very deliberate in building in robust offline resources that uh, teachers can use so that they don't have to rely on um, you know, clever downloads from the internet. And the last big message that came through to us very clearly that we've tried to address through these resources is that what works in one circumstance for one teacher in one geography for one age group isn't necessarily going to work uh, in a whole range of others. And so consequently, we tried not to overburden teachers with the range of resources that we provided, but there are 350 plus tips and resources for educators spread through these, uh, these resources. The resources themselves follow a similar format. Uh, Nafisa alluded to it. There's a set of tips that are short and pithy and go to the issues that I've outlined. There are on and offline resources, and they had to pass three tests to get into these, uh, into these documents. Nafisa talked about the fact that they need to be free and or inexpensive to execute. They really needed to be simple to do and to understand. Teachers just don't have time to work through a whole lot of instructions. Families at home don't have that time either. And third, they needed to be doable in resource-constrained environments. So we're very confident uh, that the activities that are contained within these resources meet those tests. I um, Also, the resources, not only have we got a, a resource devoted uh, to teacher wellbeing, but within the other three resources are very clear sections on, uh, on student uh, psychosocial health and wellbeing. So the tips are varied. They, we've really tried to um, identify activities that have got some longevity around them, that are potentially repeatable, that uh, engage students in deep learning, and that integrate a range of the subjects that we don't always get to do in depth in 40 and 50 minute periods in schools. So we've really tried to get a real breadth of STEM uh, activities, of literacy activities, of learning languages, of physical activities. So some of my favorites. I love the, um, there's one that talks about setting up an obstacle course and that has not only kids climbing, potentially mums and dads, older siblings set it up, climbing through the clothes horse, but it also has thinking um, intervals as well, where you might have to write down five words that, uh, that uh, start with C that you can see in the room, for example. Another one I really like for little children is astronauts reading, uh, reading stories from space. Very cool. Uh, another is that um, uh, older students being journalists and writing about their COVID experience from different perspectives. So the variety, there's, there's a real variety of, uh, of resources in there. The other thing, next slide please, the other thing that we were really um, keen to do was not set these as prescriptions, but use them as prompts uh, to 
encourage people to explore websites, to think about what was relevant in their context. So in our uh, 200 schools uh, across uh, countries, Aga Khan schools across uh, various countries, I've just picked up these images that give you a sense of how people have used and adapted and been prompted by the ideas in these resources. So far left, we've got uh, a little fellow from Mombasa in uh, Kenya, doing a really simple task that teachers and parents have been able to set up together, practicing his numbers using art and craft. Top center, these students are from Dar es Salaam in, uh, in Tanzania. They are actually representing Tanzania at a debating competition that should have been in Mexico, but now will be held online, so a virtual one. But throughout our resource, we talk about the power of debating, how you can involve students in these sort of um, interactive processes, whether it's by the telephone or online, to encourage the sort of activities that they would continue, that will continue their learning. On the uh, top right, we have uh, a teacher who is supporting her other her colleagues with uh, technology and with pedagogy in terms of distance distant learning a really strong theme through our educated resources and the little girl down the bottom in the right hand corner is engaged in the deer project so rowan talked a lot about the fact that you know we don't have access to technology in a whole range of places and so getting deer stands for drop everything and read so simply getting books into the hands of students and having them read them through with parents and siblings has been a fantastic way of maintaining an interest and momentum in learning for the last, I want to talk to you about the uh, centre-bottom centre photograph. One of the things that's been incredibly important during this time is to think about values. And one of the values that AKDN holds very strongly is that of um, service. So this little primary school girl from Korog in Tajikistan made 300 pancakes herself which she then took down to the local school and gave to the frontline at the local hospital, which she took to the frontline workers and gave to the patients. So again, even though school isn't in session, we can still talk about service and values. Next slide, please. One of the resources that I want to draw to your attention is these three videos that were produced by AK, uh, AKF that do exactly that. They talk about inclusive classrooms, classroom learning environments, and really emphasise uh, the importance of service, of inclusivity, of pluralism in these times. Next slide, please. So I am left wondering as we move into a circumstance that is likely to continue for some time and we hear lots of noise about learning loss how we might honor what students have actually learnt when they're at home they've learned a myriad of things how do we honor and recognize that uh, now and when they come back to school well-being has come through as such a strong theme as has academic progress how do we support both of those things as lockdowns and blended learning, you know, is inevitably going to continue for some time. 
And last, our teachers have done a remarkable job in terms of an emergency response uh, to learning during, during the COVID period. But how do we lift and sustain that um, in what, what I think all of us would agree is going to be a lot the long haul? Thank you, Rowan. Back to you. Uh, beautiful, Marjorie. Thanks so much. And yeah, I've not heard of drop everything and read, but that's a, a good mantra. That's <laughs> an I'll be following. Thank you. Um, Andrew, let's hand over to you for the, uh, the third element. Thanks, Ronan. And uh, again, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I'd also like to thank Dr. Mamu, the chairman of the UK National Committee and members for inviting this webinar to even take place. Nafisa and I were invited to give an overview uh, less than a month ago about the kind of uh, collaborative work and the dedicated commitment of our colleagues throughout the world. And it was thought that actually these lessons learned and insights and resources uh, should be shared more widely. So thank you very much for that invitation. And also I saw in the chat of, well, where are all these resources? How can we get them? So uh, if Christopher Wilton Steer can put in the chat the link at akf.uk.org, um, all of these resources mentioned by Nafisa and Marjorie are also downloadable immediately um, for free. So now how do we think about these issues around families, around teachers, around pupils, within the future of school systems, particularly when everyone is experiencing an increasingly uncertain time? Within the Aga Khan Development Network alone, it's estimated that we reach approximately 5,000 and more schools every single year in partnership with governments across more than 20 different countries. One of those programs, next slide, was being launched this year called Schools 2030, which was a collaboration and is a collaboration of nine private foundations supporting 1,000 government schools for the next 10 years across 10 countries to really try to work with teachers and understand what works to improve quality holistic education. But when this program was kicked off in March, as Ronan said, the world schools closed. Next slide. Within the ethos of Schools 2030, we were enabling teachers to go through a six-step process to really amplify what works from the bottom up rather than the top down in this international sector we call global education. First, enabling teachers to assess their own learning outcomes, then to design their own solutions, then to receive flexible capital to implement those solutions, to track, iterate, and then showcase to their national governments rather than the NGOs and people perhaps living halfway around the world speaking on their behalf. In fact, Schools 2030 was creating the platform and now is creating the platform for school teachers to understand what works and, and actually articulate that to the global audience. Next slide. In March of this year, we were in Nairobi, beginning with that second step of design thinking, listening to pupils, listening to teachers. You can see a wide variety of stakeholders. We had colleagues from Tanzania, Kenya, and Uganda all together, figuring out how do we actually enable our students to learn conflict resolution in areas like the slums of Kibera in Nairobi or in the coastal areas of Mombasa, Kenya. And they were generating these prototypes and bringing in students and bringing in teachers and actually testing these different solutions before going to scale. 
but then COVID hit literally a week later. Next slide. So we immediately had to shift. How do we keep this kind of energy alive and the participation and the inclusion of teachers in the development of solutions related to now COVID-19 that perhaps could supplement the global resource toolkits that AKF and AKES have been developing so diligently over the last few months. And together with our teams around the world and the Aga Khan Foundation's Innovation Unit, we used Mural, which is an online platform which basically takes those offline post-its and makes it interactive in an online way. And taking these challenges that teachers were actually experiencing for we do not know how to support children's formal learning. We feel inadequate in turning those into how might we questions? How might we increase caregivers' knowledge and confidence about educating their children? And it's a simple shift of using verbs like motivate, incentivize, provide, support, help, create, and building on what Ronan said in the beginning, COVID-19 can also be an opportunity to do things differently and to feel a sense of momentum. Next slide. After trialing a first few uh, where all of us got quite frustrated because it's very difficult to put on a virtual post-it, what you can put on just with your marker and pen on the wall. But in fact, there was a sense of belonging and there was a sense of creativity that people, although locked in their homes, were able to feel a sense of progress, a sense of invention and a sense of energy that frankly, the societies in which we live are really trying to drain us uh, during this time of isolation. And so over the last 12 weeks, you can see here, it's not just a series of post-it notes, it's actually a journey. And each week, we come back together across the 10 countries and bring the findings that we have from texting teachers, from calling teachers, from calling parents, from WhatsApping students, what do you think about this? and representing their voices into the solutions generation. Next slide. And boy, has it been amazing, not only working with Accenture Development Partnerships in strengthened use of Microsoft Teams platforms, but also you can see right in the middle here, a colleague and a partner with the Regional Education Learning Initiative in Tanzania, drawing a little bit of her prototype and connecting with our National Coordinator for Schools 2030 in Afghanistan, Morad Shirzad. That would never be possible before. We would have to bring them together. We'd have to do a workshop. We'd have to do a, you know, all this kind of it. They were actually co-creating together on behalf of their communities and in a way that was, that was, again, scaffolded. And when we're thinking about school systems, how do we think about a scaffolded journey over the course of 12 weeks rather than what Marjorie said as these emergency reflexes? And you see on the right, this is actually a screen grab of a video from a parent who was prototyping um, in Kenya one of these particular new uh, sort of uh, SMS and WhatsApp based uh, uh, basically tutorial of how do you use local household items to work with your kids in a play-based uh, methodology for learning improvement. And these are corn cobs. So we got to think about the majority of contexts are not those that have Crayola crayons. We've got to remember that actually in the majority of contexts, what is around the house, what is in the community could in fact be the most relevant teaching and learning materials that perhaps also could bridge this illusion um, or this divide that there's an illusion between the school and the home and actually make that bridge. Next slide. 
And I want to now celebrate that we're at the, nearing the end of these 12 weeks and each one of the 10 country teams, whether it's in Portugal or Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, or Brazil, they have been working on these prototypes and testing. And I wanna just showcase one from India. Many of you, uh, perhaps in the United States and, in, and, and even in, in other countries, have heard of these boxes of learning that can be delivered um, upon order on a subscription basis. So in India, there's a, there's a, there's a company called uh, Flinto Box, which for $17, you get uh, you know, a, a cool box with all these nice activities for kids to use. And basically, our team in India said, this is exactly what we need to be doing, but that's too expensive. How do we make it affordable? In addition, how do we make the content and the materials more relevant for the context of those living in Bihar in urban and peri-urban and rural areas? And third, what about actually connecting this to economic development? So who are the makers of all these materials? We have women self-help groups within the Aga Khan uh, Rural Support Program and Aga Khan uh, Foundation making masks right now out of cloth and, and gaining an income. Well, they're not gonna make masks forever. Could they be making some of the materials that go into these boxes that are more affordable? And how do the boxes themselves even become part of the learning materials and making the box itself a puzzle? This came from conversations with real teachers, real families who say great about the digital revolution for COVID-19 education responses, but for those who are disconnected, this may be the answer. And this may be the thematic sort of journeys month to month that come via box that is made by people in their own communities. And how scalable is that globally? And the other ideas coming out of Afghanistan, Pakistan include, as Ronan said, calling a voicemail with teaching tips so that there's a recorded message around how to teach science or dynamic duos for a new learning program in Pakistan connecting mothers and teachers together. Next slide. So I'm also left with a few how might we questions. How might we learn more about the future of teaching during COVID-19 by listening to more educators who are succeeding against the odds like we've done over the course of the design thinking? How might we learn more about the future of learning during COVID-19 by engaging more learners themselves in virtual HC HCD processes for education? And third, how might we learn more about the future of schooling by inviting more schools to innovate and collaborate through virtual human-centered design processes about how best to navigate and thrive during COVID-19? And all of these resources for the mural webinars and this 12-week course is open source and free and downloadable. This is where we need to change the direction of educational responses. And I'm very proud of my colleagues around the world who have made this possible. Over to you, Ronan, thanks. Thanks so much, uh, Andy. Um, really, really appreciate um, all of the comments that uh, you've made, Marjorie and uh, Nafisa as well. And uh, yes, questions have been flying in, so that's fantastic. Um, I'd like just to address some of the questions that have come uh, in around this all sounds great but where can i get the resources um invite you to uh, to visit the akf uh, website you can see the url there on the bottom right of the page um that's your one-stop shop i think for learning more about these resources so being able to to download them as andy said for free um understand they're available in multiple languages video content that is available in terms of interviews on you know, design thinking. 
Um, so yeah, please do please do go there as as your first port of call. Um, I'd like to before we go into Q and A, um, as is my prerogative, kind of pose a question first, if that's all right, um, uh, for the panelists. It's actually I, I want to see if we could learn a bit more about uh, solutions and get a sense of reality from the ground, uh, essentially. And, understand that we do have someone on the line, uh, Aryan, Aryan Sanyal, who is um, Aga Khan Foundation's education manager in India. Um, Aryan, can you hear me and can you come off mute? I'd be really interested in hearing your take on learning toolkit solution and uh, you know, why you believe that this solution is so critical for helping um, children to continue to learn uh, during COVID um, in, in India. Uh, thanks, Ronan, um, for the question. Um, you know, what the challenge we faced was that in uh, low internet environments, one of the first challenges was how do we enable parents uh, who do not have access to internet to engage with children and continue learning at home. So in a lot of places in India where we work, uh, we are faced with low literacy environments, um, families, parents who are not literate, they have low access to technologies and they don't have the resources. A lot of them uh, belong to extremely poor households. And COVID has also added to this loss of livelihoods. So like Andy mentioned, we were looking at solutions and trying to brainstorm. And one of the things that came across was these subscription services like Flinterbox. But even something like $10, $12 uh, a month is not affordable. So the challenge was, how do we come up with solutions that are affordable to the majority of the population? And how do we make this learning kit more affordable to a larger part of the population? And how do we make the resources low cost? Can we use materials that can be used in multiple ways instead of single use? And one of the things we are trying to do is keep it to a target of, say, something as low as $2. So that not only can be provided, but in the longer run, parents can buy it locally themselves and on a monthly basis. So we're trying to uh, innovate around that. And we're starting with simple things. So like um, it could be simple materials like paper and uh, color pencils um, that help uh, children draw. But how do we move on to content learning content, which is more relevant, thematic content, which is linked to their immediate environment, uh, the rural life uh, and also linking it to the existing curriculum, the school curriculum itself. Uh, one of the major challenges with any such solution is the supply chain. Uh, how do we reach the last mile? And uh, there's also this challenge of uh, rural livelihoods in COVID. So like Andy mentioned, uh, we were very inspired by the women's self-help groups who have taken the lead in making masks in their communities and to protect their families and communities. And we wondered, why can't they make simple cards with cardboard, you know? Uh, can we make it possible for them, give them the schematics, and maybe they would be able to do it easily, delivering at the last mile and further lowering the costs uh, as well. And that's something we are going to explore in the next stage. Right now, we are just trying to innovate, get the user feedback, the parents and the children see how they use it and then lower the cost further and then work with the self-help groups. That's fascinating, Ayan, and it actually, it reminds me a little bit of a project I was working on in India with um, um, children in the first 100 days, like it is K 
key for their their, their development and this uh, these, this box innovation was uh, what a social enterprise was coming up with um, to stimulate uh, children in the first hundred days uh, mentally to have them uh, you know uh, develop positively. One of the innovations that they had uh, was to charge two different boxes. So you had a two dollar box and you had an eight dollar box. Um, and actually, the eight, it was a kind of cross subsidization program where the $8 box for the higher socioeconomic family actually cross subsidized and lowered the price point for the, um, for the $2 box. So, it was, yeah, there's a lot of great thinking out there. Um, but it sounds like you're, you're well on top of it. But uh, yeah, great, great for cross points of learning. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Well, I, I'd love to dive into some of the questions that you have been um, putting to us. And I think the first uh, set of questions that are kind of grouping are around uh, preschool. So let me just find, there were certainly two questions that were quite common there. Um, so Ashifa, uh, thank you for your question. Is distance learning for preschool effective? Uh, would be the first one. And was a similar question but you you've, you've swamped me so uh, let's let's go with that now um uh, around around the team i can answer i can i can go with that and um, and then marjorie can add so i mean i think um what we've what we've uh, when we were developing the resources as well we were kind of saying that you know we don't have a choice uh, a lot of the kids are at home right now and and when we're looking at the preschoolers uh, we you know when we're looking at the distance there's an option of distance just learning at home offline or is of a distance having that online um, time right and we know that younger kids uh, cannot have as much uh, they can't uh, they're, they're, they're uh, spend in terms of spending that much time one is not good but two is that kids are not going to be able to sit in front of a something for so long so we are suggesting that you know for preschoolers um, if, if parents or even teachers are, are thinking of activities online it shouldn't be more than 20 20 minutes um, or 25 minutes but then of course if it's a distance learning is the same even if it's on offline activities um, you can't keep your kids for so long and that's why even in a in a preschool settings whether it's a even an offline when you see that uh, there is a daily routine and kids move quickly from a, a learning uh, alphabet then jumping around and running around so I think uh, we've suggested to both families and also uh, uh, educators that uh, uh, first of all being a bit more creative uh, coming up with uh, shorter activities um, in terms of timing, but also a lot of it is, has to be play-based. A lot of it is, needs to be play-based, so kids really enjoy it. But it's not just, you know, for preschoolers. I think we've really suggested for even the <laughs> primary and secondary that uh, at home, especially if kids are stuck, uh, the learning should be really fun uh, through um, play-based, and, you know, it could be called a project-based, but really around that uh, would be an important way to, to learn if kids are learning uh, away from, 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 from their peers and, and, and with, with adults. Thanks, Nafisa. And whilst I have you, I found Shamir's question now. So, and I think you touched certainly on one of them. Could you please highlight some of the critical issues for preschools? How are teachers engaging students? Are there any best practices emerging? So I, th I think you covered on attention span. Is there anything else you'd like to expand yeah. on there? I mean, I think, as I said, the play, I think play is an important one, is what, what we suggested in the, in the school uh, package for, for educators is thinking through uh, how uh, the preschool, you know, for the preschoolers, our uh, recommendation was that they really need to talk to the parents more rather than directly to the students. And also parents, if, if they want to engage kids on a Zoom or something, parents will always have to be 
present. Adults always need to be present, but a lot of the communication during the remote learning will have to be with families and understanding families' uh, schedule, uh, what the availability on helping young kids is very critical. Marjorie, anything in your... Nothing really more to add, Nafisa, except uh, coming back to my, my theme that we rec learning happens in a whole lot of different ways and a whole lot of different uh, environments. And so um, little ones helping mum fold the washing or um, counting the steps, all of these are ways of engaging students in little ones in learning. And so I think we need to recognise that learning doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be painting over numbers. Uh, there can be a whole range of other things. Thanks, Marjorie. Uh, I'll take Mukhtar's question here. Have you considered it as part of this package, anything that is more along the alternate learning needs, such as ADHD or deaf children? So perhaps just answering a little bit from um, our end, uh, one of our partners globally is the Oak Foundation. Um, that is a key partner for the Schools 2030 program. And the current resource packages do not address this directly. However, over the next couple of months, we are also bringing a, n a number of different insights uh, from uh, really more um, uh, sort of uh, high resource context and making them more relevant to low resource ones. So uh, please stay tuned would be the short answer. Got you, thanks uh, Andy. Um, Shashank, thank you for your question. Um, you, you rightly note it is also hard to reach children with uneducated parents. So solutions prepared material in local languages as well as some places with, with no audio instruction. How, how do, how relevant is uh, what you've developed to, uh, to families with, uh, fronted by uneducated parents? Perhaps I can respond to that one, uh, Ronan. We have in Afghanistan, we face exactly the same problem. Parents are willing and keen, but literacy levels are, are low. And so there's a whole range of different uh, strategies we've used. Uh, things like talking to parents on the telephone. So with uh, in, in um, collaboration with a telecommunications company, Roshan, we've provided uh, SIM cards for families and teachers so that they actually do have their data bundles necessary to take calls. So uh, teachers can talk to parents. We've produced, or the Afghan team have produced uh, a, illustrative posters that help um, parents uh, understand some of the tasks that need to happen. There are, and there are of course, people in communities themselves who are very, very willing to help their neighbours. So, and students themselves can talk to parents. So it's really a matter of being creative, trying different solutions and playing to the willingness of parents to provide the support that's necessary. And just to add, we've also, um, for example, again, in, in, in Afghanistan, our, our team for primary and secondary student created self-learn packages uh, where they were then uh, distributed because, again, one, we didn't also have an um, uh, uh, you know, online ability, so it was an offline, they were printed and they were distributed by community um, health workers or others who were taking other stuff to the to the homes and then they were given to the students you know left at their home or, or, or through a community leader so the kids will receive a self 
help uh, learning packages. And then, as, as Marjorie said, teacher, teachers will then follow up with the phone uh, to really help those students whose parents or might not necessarily be able to help them uh, with, with the learning. Great. Thanks, Nafisa. Thanks, Marjorie. Um, uh, Dr. Lakshmi, thank you uh, for this question. Ch children will be feeling lonely and sometimes depressed sitting inside four walls, concentrating online. Um, how about um, meeting their needs in terms of physical education? Are there any interactive sessions that you've seen that work well that you would recommend? Thanks, Ronan. Well, as a son of a psychologist who's also on the line, uh, who also contributed to some of the uh, different uh, psychosocial well-being and support uh, reference materials, uh, this is a crucial area um, to not only think about mental health of you know, dialogue, and emotional support, but also physical activity. And actually within uh, the resource toolkits, we've selected um, three very useful um, series of physical education um, activities that are not just here's a YouTube and watch it, which could be fun once in a while, but actually is a full 19 week program that is also accompanied with why you're doing these particular exercises and learning about the connection between the physical health and the mental health. And, uh, and you know, be more than happy to follow up to point you right to that, but uh, it's, it's within those resources. Great, thanks Andy. Um, Helen, thanks for your question here. Uh, so thinking ahead to when we're supporting children returning to school, um, are there ideas to be taken from the programs for recruiting and enrolling children into school in the first place. Um, programs to retain, like uh, girls, disabled students to remain in secondary schooling. Um, do we need completely new strategies or can we, uh, I suppose, look to previous uh, good work that's been done? I mean, I think one of the things that has helped us even before the COVID and what I, I've mentioned is around communities engagement and getting really communities involved. And I think what we've also learned uh, during this um, pandemic that it was actually local communities, it's the local uh, civil society organization that were actually more, more uh, important and they were closer to the community, they were closer to the families that, that many of us and many of the, you know, even governments uh, who were able to provide a national level response but at the, at the, at the at the local level was really community. So if we're looking at um, getting school, students back to school and, and we have to work very closely with the communities uh, who are close uh, to those families, the community engagement, this family engagement is very critical for us to uh, to, to start now and engage. And actually we are have a, a last a resource that we should be uh, hopefully uh, 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 in the next two weeks, uh, which really for educators uh, on uh, opening schools and there are tips um, and activities that we're suggesting uh, in, in that package, uh, specifically for teachers on uh, strategies that they can use on um, helping kids to come, you know, helping families and kids to prepare and come back to school. Fantastic. Thanks, Nafisa. Well, we've, we've ticked around to the full hour. Um, there's a lot of questions here that are unanswered. So, uh, but thank you so much for, for your interest. Um, and we will look to take some of these questions away and assess if there's anything that we haven't covered uh, and get some, some more full uh, answers to you uh, as part of this webinar. Thank you so much for dialing in. I hope you found it useful. Please, please do go and find and use and share those resources that are available. And uh, yeah, have a fantastic rest of the day. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.